0: It is Thursday night, November 10th, the year of our Lord, 2022, the very rare beginning of the show, Paper Pop. It's only right that you should play off the way you feel, but listen carefully to the sound. Most of you know what that means. We are jam-packed. We are high atop and anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Anxious because a lot of us don't know what's in store in the next 48 hours, much less in the next four to eight years of our sport, but we do know That on Thursday on this program we do upset alert meter scale of one to ten. How nervous should your local favorite be? We will share that momentarily. Booster culture. Sometimes it's rumored, sometimes it's factual to have just run amok in your program. I've got a question about that tonight. College football and the playoff and the expansion down the road. Just a brilliant piece written. By friend of the program, Ari Wasserman, over on the Athletic, brilliance, and I will dive headfirst into it tonight and enjoy it in the process. We're going deep in the mailbag, really deep tonight. We got a lot of stuff to get to. Harrisburg, PA is tuned in. A lot of Jesse's fan base resides in and around Harrisburg, Grove, Oklahoma, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Carrollton, Georgia. As of this moment, right here, we sit here at 7:01 p.m. in the Central Time Zone. We've got 147,000. 268 subs on the YouTube channel. Remember, I'm, I'm old enough to remember three weeks ago, Colin, when our, our goal was to get to 150K by New Year's. Then it was Christmas. Then it was my parents' anniversary. Then it was the first day of winter. And then it was Thanksgiving. And now I just think we're going to get to 150K by, like, this time next week? Mid-November? Whoops, to thunk it? We would, around here. So, I don't need you to do anything other than subscribe to the channel and like the videos while you're there. But hey, if you're listening on podcast, we've seen a nice little spike in that too. So just follow, subscribe, whatever you need to do. That's all we need from you. Don't need donations? We wouldn't turn the money down, but we don't need donations. We don't need anything like that. Everything we need from you is free. You listen, and so we appreciate that. Go ahead and sub and like while you're there. Upset alerts. Look to your left, look to your right. Is everyone comfortable? A lot of you are favored by double digits this week. A lot of false senses of security as I see them. So let's dive into this tonight. We're going to put a scale of 1 to 10, a, a concern level for me at least. Let's start with Missouri at Tennessee. A lot of you don't know who Tennessee plays this week. You just know that they play this week. Well, they play Missouri. Now, speaking of what we know, we know pretty certainly, that Tennessee's not going to the SEC championship game. There's some weird one-in-a-million mathematical chance, but that's not happening. Um, We think, I think most of us think that Tennessee can still very much make the college football playoff, and the odds back that up right now, as long as they take care of business on their end. So that's what we know, that's what we think. Now here is the total mystery. The total mystery is how Tennessee's going to respond coming off a loss this week. I think I have found a comparable data point in the college football world in 2022 to combat or at least to compare to what Tennessee did last week. So Tennessee goes to Georgia last week. They lose 27 to 13. There's been a lot of really ridiculous arguing about that game. Games in the past. It happened. Move on. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we actually took the Every Given Saturday tour out to Eugene, Oregon. We were at the UCLA-Oregon game. And that one ended up being... Eh, kind of a little bit of a semi blowout in its own right. I think the final was like forty three to thirty one or something like that, forty five to thirty one. But it was a comfortable Oregon win. And I find myself wondering afterwards, ooh, I wonder what UCLA's gonna do from here. Well they went back home and they played Stanford, which is like the West Coast's version of Missouri, respectfully, and they dusted them. I mean they never messed around. They took care of business. They won thirty eight to thirteen. They hadn't lost a game since then, by the way. I think that's what Tennessee's going to do. So if you want my expectation level for them this weekend, it's not like they're demoralized and deflated. They lost a game. They still got everything to play for. And it could be that the net result of all this is they still make the playoff and don't even go to Atlanta. So all that's still there. They're sold out. I mean, nealon has been incredible this whole year. They get yet another home game there in a really good environment and atmosphere. So I'm going to put a two on this. I don't think Missouri's got much of a shot here. I think you're going to get... If not the best of Tennessee, plenty good enough version of Tennessee to take care of business there. The line, I think, is 20 and a half. Next up, I have a ton of concern about this next game. I was driving, so I came in early this morning and then I went to the gym and then I came back to the office. And as I was, you did not need to know all that. But my point is, as I was driving to the office, I'm stopped at one of 38 red lights between the gym, like 0.5 miles away, in my office. And I looked down. And someone said, if I don't talk about Louisville-Clemson tonight, I am making a big mistake. Friends, let's talk about Louisville versus Clemson. Last time you saw the Tigers, they were getting run out of South Bend, Indiana. There is no nice way to put that. And they were getting run all over in the process. And there's no nice way to put that. It hurt. I know you guys. It was, it was painful. If you're a Clemson Tiger fan to watch that. Well, now you're coming home and you're playing Louisville. What are you favored by? 17, 21, 28? This is a seven-point spread on this game. Louisville's hot right now. This is the least desirable time to be playing Scott Satterfield's team. They're 4-0 against the spread and straight up in their last four games. And here's what I don't think a lot of people know, because quite frankly, if you're being honest with me, you do not watch many Louisville Cardinal football games. But we do. They have 34 sacks on the season. They have 24 takeaways on the season. That's tied for first in FBS. Jesse, could you please check that for me? I don't know. The number just feels a little weird to me. Check the 34 sacks for me, please. I I don't expect you to be able to tell me immediately. It is correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Good to hear from you, Jesse. Um, Look, Louisville can take the ball away from you, and Louisville can really disrupt you defensively. Now, since 2016, we did not have a big sample size to look at. Clemson, at home since 2016 as a single-digit favorite. There were only three of those instances. Of course, they're 3-0, and straight up, in single-digit spread home games. That's a pretty fine filter there. And this is the fourth one. What do you think we're going to get from them this week? There's been a lot of noise around the program. How strong are those walls around the Clemson football program? I've got concerns here. i got to be real with you. I did not see last week coming I don't want to be fooled again, as the Who would say. I'm going to put an eight on this. I am deeply concerned about Clemson this week. I don't have any money on this game. We're not going to make it a best bet. Uh, The model likes Clemson, actually. But me and the model, as you know, have been at odds as of late. I'm not even talking to the model right now, to be honest with you. I can't even look at its direction. But let's move on. So be careful, Clemson, is my message. Georgia at Mississippi State. Now, we chose, we made an executive decision, by we I mean me, not to do a game breakdown on this particular matchup. Will we live to regret that? Well, I don't think so, because I don't think Mississippi State's gonna win the game. I don't think it's gonna be within single digits. I don't think. But Mississippi State averaging the fourth most points per game in the SEC, That's respectable. Of course, Georgia allows the second fewest. Now here is the wild stat, like a pre-padlock stat. Let me grab a piece of paper. This is pop worthy. Uh, This is not a typo. Georgia has allowed 17 touchdowns in their last 21 regular season games. I'll repeat it. Georgia, Bulldogs there in Athens, 21 touchdowns allowed in their last, or 17 touchdowns allowed in their last 21 regular season games. Do you know who number two is? Let me spoil it for you. Number two is Iowa. Georgia's given up 17 in their last 21 regular season games. The second closest team is Iowa, and they've given up 36. That's more than twice as many as Georgia has given up. Gross. You, so that's what you got on your plate this weekend if you're Mississippi State. It's great that at home against SEC competition, Mississippi State's hanging 40 a game. That's wonderful. It will not happen this week, nor will 30 happen in all likelihood. But let's see what Will Rogers had now or has, because I do have this one memory that I, I shook my head as violently as I could. I could not get it out of my memory. It was from two years ago, you will recall, Mississippi State comes into Athens. They had like 14 scholarship players or something ridiculous like that. And they took Georgia to the absolute wire. And that is the last time that I've seen these two teams play. I don't think it's going to be that close. I'm putting a three on this game because you have the standard letdown spot here. The last time we saw Georgia go on the road to Missouri, it was a close game. I just think Kirby Smart's got that team's full attention now. I do not think we will see it, but I'm going to put a three just in case. What about Washington at Oregon? We already broke this game down. In fact, I just posted the preview video for those of you who want to see the individual preview from the show Tuesday night on the channel in the last few hours. Oregon's got a leaky secondary. The numbers back that up. That's true. Oregon's linebacker unit, for whatever reason, very talented, but... They can be had in pass pro, you know, if you are able to work in the middle in such an effective fashion as Michael Penix in this Washington passing attack can do. And I emphasize the word can, because if they do what they can do, they can easily make this a four-quarter game. They could pull the upset now if they have their best passing game of the year, if they're not turning the ball over. The style of play Washington has to incorporate is such that they have to expose themselves to the risk of turnover. I still think, at the end of the day, my confidence in Oregon winning this game stems from the fact that I just think they're going to be able to run on Washington. Washington's got a respectable run defense, and that's about it. And UCLA did, too. And we saw what Oregon did to them. Now, if you're elite, if you're holding your opponent to like 65% of their yearly rushing totals, that's different. But that's not Washington. And so, Oregon I think that coaching staff looks at them and i look at them and say we're going to be able to run on them and as a result they're going to take a lot of the volatility and variance and potential outcomes out of the equation and i think pretty predictably we're going to see oregon end up winning that game now of course as is the caveat with every college football game if you have a bunch of turnovers that's how that gets thrown into a blender we always have to predict games as if we're predicting the turnover battle to be even because no one has the ability to predict turnovers. So outside of that, I do like Oregon here. For the record, rivalry game here, I'm going to put a five on the upset alert meter. Got to take it seriously. Oregon minus 13. This is the stretch now. They got Washington, they got Utah at home, and then they go to Oregon State. This is the stretch. They got to play their best ball. They've been rolling. Look at how consistent their scores up. Col- or Colin, leave that up for a second. Listen to this now. From week three on, They've scored 41, 44, 45, 49, 45, 42, 49. That's crazy. That's like razor-sharp efficiency. Also kind to totals betters who want to know where you're going to land every week. Last game, I want to, um... (laughs) Brandon Walker just texted me. Sorry, bud. On air. Kind of do a live show. Uh, Alabama Ole Miss. Yes, this is an eight. Same spread on this game. Just about the same spread as Oregon and Washington i got much bigger concerns about this game. And if any of you can convince me that you somehow know Alabama's all of a sudden going to have their act together as they go out on the road again, I'll listen to you. I don't have that confidence. And all I, all I keep thinking about is Lane Kiffin sitting over in Oxford. They were off last week, by the way, so they got two weeks to get ready for this. And I keep thinking about Lane Kiffin having this piece of figurative paper in his back pocket. And it's been there for months. It stems all the way back to spring when he was first watching Jackson Dart and Luke Altmeyer and trying to figure out how this offense was going to pan out. And, oh, who's this freshman? Quinshon Judkins. Uh, maybe we can use him this year. But every single practice and every single repetition, you start to get an idea of some things you could do offensively. Everything they could do offensively gets written down on a piece of paper, and it is labeled Nick Saban, Alabama, for your eyes only. And then you put it in your back pocket, and it gets saved for this week and they will unload it. I don't know if it's going to lead to a win. I'm just saying, I was talking to Uncle Wilt Fong earlier today, and we were kind of talking about this game, and he was kind of sharing that sentiment. He said, whatever they have in the reservoir, Bama's getting it this week. But here's the thing I said to Steve, and here's the thing I'll say to you. I think Ole Miss can just run the ball right at Alabama. They run the ball as well as any team in America outside of the service academy, statistically. They run the ball as well as any team in the SEC. They run it for 267 yards a game. So they've been lethal on the ground. And my mind keeps going back to where Alabama is right now mentally. And if they're fully checked in and you get one of their better performances, sure, they should win the game. Because Ole Miss's defense should not be able to contain Alabama. Shouldn't be able to. Bama's done a plenty good enough job at containing Bama themselves, so maybe Ole Miss will only have to do half the job but I keep thinking about where they are mentally because if they're not checked in, the first on the list of demoralization factors as it relates to your team is run defense. If you're not checked in and you got a team that can run at you like a bowling ball shot out of a cat tractor like uh, Ole Miss, it gets really, really tough. And it doesn't just last one quarter or two quarters. Ole Miss may run the ball 50 times Saturday. What's that number going to look like? I don't know. What's Bama's number going to look like? I don't know. This is an eight for me. I'm very concerned, as I will be anytime Alabama goes on the road for the rest of the year. So there you go. Upset alerts. It was a little crooked. It didn't exactly correlate point for point with what the spreads are, but that's where my mind's at. Academy Sports and Outdoors. I had a fascinating conversation with some of our people the other day. Um, It's probably not time for me to tell you, but there are some ideas coming down the road that excite even me. And I I know about them and they, they excite even me. So got some surprises for you down the road. Basically, here's what I do. When I talk to our folks at Academy, I'm talking for you. And I'm asking, how do we get these people more free stuff? And you know what our folks at Academy do? To their credit, every time I say that, they ship me a big wad of gift cards. And now they're saying, hey, what else? What else can we do? So Hoomst in the world knows what free stuff I could be giving out, but that's in the future. As for now, seasons are changing. It's been, it's been very misleadingly warm in Nashville this week. I got mildly sunburned yesterday. That is the last time that will happen until about March around here. I'm flying to New Orleans tomorrow, but I'll eventually have to come back to this darkness at 415 and 38 degrees and windy. It could snow later this weekend. Well, well That I can't control. What I can control is how I dress for it. And these folks at Academy Sports and Outdoors, they have me hooked up. And I just had something else I remembered. But they've got you hooked up too. Now, if you need sporting goods equipment, if you need a grill, if you need a tent, if you need a canopy, if you need a jacket, they help us. And so we ask that you need this stuff anyway in your life. Go to Academy or academy.com to take care of it. Now, I normally tell you as I take this piece of paper and set it down and we move on with the show, normally I tell you, They're your one-stop shop for pretty much everything in life. I have found not all of you believe me, and that's okay. That's okay. Some of you have to see it to believe it. But I had a doubting Thomas amongst us hit me up the other day, and he said, I didn't believe you when you said that they had everything I needed in life. I wanted to buy some protein. And so I went to Academy. Sure, to prove you wrong, and I searched protein. He sends me a screenshot of the specific brand of protein, by the way, that he was looking for. He said, I can't believe it. Like, Academy really does have everything. I try to tell y'all. you go, go learn the hard way for all I care. I try and tell you, Academy's looking out for your best interest. They care. They care. And I care that they care about the show. So thank you to them. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. Executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. I have got just an utter piece of brilliance in my hand right now, immunity. Uh, It is an Ari Wasserman article, not this, this is hand-drawn notes, but it is an Ari Wasserman article, a column, a feature, a piece, whatever you want to call it. I know a lot of you have mixed feelings about The Athletic. I don't really know why. There is some really, really good, legit sports journalism that's done over there. I don't like all of it. You will never like everything that's offered, If if you've ever been to a buffet before. I don't know how in the world you can like everything on the buffet, but The Athletic Sports buffet, and they're not paying me to say this, trust me, uh, it has a really, really good smattering and an offering, if you will, of college football. So I pay my money and I go over there and I am reading some of the work of one Ari Wasserman because this triggered me to do it today. Earlier today, one of you pointed it out to me on Twitter. They said, Hey, is this Pate State material? I said, What is it? Oh, it's an article by Ari. Okay, I'll go look. And you're seeing on the screen right now, I retweeted it. I like to give credit where it's due. And I, 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 I felt like I wrote it. I felt like I wrote the article. I felt like I wrote the feature. So you will have to pay. I'm not going to sit here and do story time. We don't have a campfire over here where we're going to gather around and I read this to you. But boy, oh boy, our man hit it out of the park. I'm talking about one of those home runs like in Houston where it can go all the way over the tracks and out of the stadium. That's what he did to this story. So the entire premise was about what we'll lose by going to a 12-team college football playoff. I am not here to relitigate this. I know, respectfully, that there are many in our audience that are fully on board with playoff expansion. I get it. No one's changing their mind here. I just wanna point out, it's, it's good to finally, you know, have some more folks sitting over here on our side of the canoe for a change, because that thing was really tilted up in the air. There are some good points made here. See, I've always been willing to concede there are going to be some pretty awesome aspects of an expanded playoff. Playoff games on campus, for example, as many of them as they're willing to give us, those in and of themselves will be incredible spectacles. No one, at least on this show, has ever disagreed with that. No one on this show has ever disagreed that there will be more games with playoff ramifications on them in November. No one here, none of us, look, all of us here, no one has ever disagreed with that. But there is collateral damage done in the process. You don't just get, get, get without giving something up. So the entire question has always been and should have always been, is what we're giving up worth what we're getting? If you support expansion, this is where we differ. Your answer to that is yes, it's worth it. And where I differ is my answer has been no. What we give up is more than what we get. That's really where our opinions, I guess, diverge. But he, Ari Wasserman made the point, and it was a brilliant quote. It was so brilliant that I actually want to pull it up. Last week was an incredible week, and it fascinated me as we were going through it different people's perspectives. Because I had a lot of folks glued to Tennessee, Georgia, I had a lot of folks glued to Alabama LSU, and these are the same people who tell me that they've longed for a a postseason model that keeps some of these big boys out, keep the same teams away from the table, and yet they're watching a regular season game where Bama's playoff life is on the line, and they lose. And you're going crazy all over the country with excitement, and they storm the field in Baton Rouge, and yet the expansionists are watching a playoff game happen. And they don't even realize or acknowledge it as a playoff game. And Ari, he wrote the following There were no college football playoff logos on the field in Baton Rouge on Saturday. But we all got a playoff game in November. You sure did. You absolutely got a playoff game in November. You're probably going to get a playoff game when Ohio State plays Michigan. You got a playoff game when Ohio State went up there and played Penn State. The beauty of the current structure of this sport is you don't have four playoff teams. you got a bunch of teams that are playoff worthy, and then they filter themselves down to a finite final few, but there are playoff games all throughout October and November in this sport. Always has been that way ever since they expanded it. The regular season urgency is something that you cannot duplicate, you cannot manufacture it. There are a lot of different folks out there with different opinions on what kind of detrimental impact, Playoff expansion will have on the regular season. If you're like me, you're in these environments and you understand the way Tennessee, Georgia felt last weekend will not be felt in the expanded playoff era. Now, those of you who support expansion, you say it's worth it. I simply say it's not worth it because there is nothing else like that on earth, or at least in the continental United States, there is no other sporting environment like that. I was there last week. There's nothing, and what you cannot do is you cannot expand the playoff, but put seeding on the line, or maybe a first-round buy on the line, and expect folks to treat that game the same way, and expect the college football public to feel the same way about that game. Won't happen. It simply will not happen. The urgency that this sport has, the no-safety-net effect that this sport has, is its most precious commodity. The integrity of the regular season, the most precious commodity. Anyway, you've heard me talk about that. But here's what I want to draw your attention to for a second. So, for the longest time, the convenient argument, it was a dishonest argument, and I knew it at the time. But for a long time, some of the more dishonest casuals amongst the campfire started telling you, we've got to expand the playoff. And you said, why do we have to? That's pretty forceful language. Well, don't you see what Alabama's doing? Don't you see what Clemson's doing? Don't you see that they're using the current playoff model to distance themselves? Because it is a vicious, self-serving cycle. The precious few make it in, and then they profit off of it, figuratively, of course, and literally. And then they further distance themselves and separate themselves, and we're just going to have superpower programs. And how will we ever rein Alabama and Clemson back in if we don't make these changes? You notice how no one said that this year? You notice how you haven't really heard that said? The last few weeks, amongst the expansionists, we need expansion to keep Bama out and keep Clemson out. Yeah, it's because it was always a dishonest argument, because that was never what was needed. What you needed to do is sit around and wait, and that's really all you needed to do, because that's the way this sport works, even in the modern day. And here's the other thing. It's kind of a harsh realization. If you've been peddling that garbage for four or five years, you have to face the fact now that the only hope that Alabama and Clemson would have this year is your model. Mine is the one that would keep them out, which you say you've wanted for so long. Yours is the one that would have two lost Nick Saban and Alabama saying, guys, look, season hasn't gone the way we want, but as we all know, we've got to lose at least a quarter of our games before we're out of the playoff. Like, how lame is that? Do you imagine Alabama having more wiggle room? Can you imagine Clemson having more wiggle room? That's what you guys are signing up for. Now, let me tell you what happens there. What happens there is you got folks say, well, remember Josh, remember now, it was never about crowning a different champion. We're realists. We all know the same champions will largely be crowned, but it's about the journey. We wanna make the journey more meaningful for more people. We've got to make November matter for more teams. No, you need to go sit by the garbage for a little while Because you're the one who made November meaningless when you convince folks that if they're not playing for a playoff spot, their games don't mean anything. See in 2007, no one said meaningless November game. No one said that. That phrase had not even been born yet. In 2009, no one talked about meaningless bowl games. It was the expansionists that came along and decided to worship at the altar of the CFP And worship at the altar of a lot of folks who wear suits worth more than their wardrobe that they'll never meet, looking to line their pockets and fool you in the process into supporting the process that will line their pockets. And you fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. And you got convinced that if you're not playing for the playoff, (laughs) what, what does this eight win team playing in November mean? Nothing. It's meaningless. So you don't get to make the mess, but then instruct me on how to clean up the mess. Now, if you made the mess, you go sit and time out, and you let folks who aren't responsible for it clean it up. I'm not going to trust you to clean up your own mess. You're the one who made it. Go sit over there. So I am respectfully, but forcefully, not really interested in the people who made the mess, the people who created this false notion that there are meaningless games in November. I'm not interested in their solution for how we make those games mean more. Never been interested in that. And the other thing that Ari Wasserman hit in this piece on The Athletic that was brutal But to the point is the everyone deserves a path argument. Everyone's got a path. Well, let me rephrase, because everyone doesn't have a path. Everyone who needs to have a path to a national championship in major college football has a path. Because as he says in this piece, and as is the case, there is no Power Five college football team that begins the season with no path. Because there's no Power Five college football team in a four team playoff format that's going to go undefeated and not have a spot in the playoff. It won't happen from today moving forward. It will not happen. Your counterpoint is, well, there's more to college football at the major level than just the Power Five, and that's where the cold, hard truth has to be swallowed. There shouldn't be. If we're truly worried about crowning a national champion in major college football, the cold, hard truth is acknowledging the University of Georgia and Georgia Southern do not play the same sport, and it's always been foolish to pretend they do. LSU and Tulane, respectfully, do not play the same sport at the same level. The letters FBS, pretending that there's this umbrella under which 130 or 131 equal teams reside is nonsense. I was in Athens last Friday night, and I toured that facility. They've got stuff there You would not have in Statesboro, Georgia, if you ran that program at peak efficiency for another century, and they just stood still in Athens. You're existing on different planets. That's not a knock on Georgia Southern. It's a great program in Statesboro. It's just a different world. We all understand that. Even the most ardent of expansionists in the room understand that. Yet, why in the world do we believe the answer is lowering the bar, which should be excellence, to include you in a tournament to crown a champion. Why is it that we were concerned about lowering the bar to just be very good instead of excellent for the sake of inclusion and including teams to make people feel good, I guess, from these pools here that have no comparison to the oceans over here? Makes no sense. It never has. What I've always been a supporter of is a separate playoff for the G5, if you want to call it that. I've always been a supporter of that. Because there's logic behind that. There's no logic in pretending that Miami of Ohio and the University of Miami play the same sport. They don't. One has access to things the other will never have access to. It's not the NFL. First off, there are 32 teams in the NFL. So when you tell me, well, everyone's got a shot at their postseason. The NFL stands for National Football League, first off. It is an entity that solely exists for football to be played within. Colleges were not built with football or athletics in mind. They came along in some cases decades later, in some cases over a century later, and everyone's got different stuff, and everyone's got different rules, and everyone's got different geographical limitations. It's not, it's not perfectly congruently built. It's never been that way. And so you know we've tried to kind of shoehorn it in to a model that most readily duplicates what the pro models do. It's never been, it's never been meant for that. And so, Ari, well, I, look, I would encourage you guys to go read this. I could go all day on this. I would just leave you with this and ask yourself this. Are you complicit in supporting the devaluing of our most precious commodity simply to line the pockets of people you've never met and you'll never know? Because a lot of you are. And I don't want to tell you how to think, but I'm going to tell you how to think. There's going to come a day down the road where we get this. We're not fighting against it anymore. It's going to happen. We all know that. I get that. I am telling you unequivocally, there's going to come a day down the road where we're there and you look around and it looks so good on the outside. And then you get inside of it and you realize, is this it? Is this it? Because just as sure as a lot of us, myself included, who cursed the BCS up and down and longed for the four-team playoff look back with regret now, so too will you. A lot of you will look back with regret at this four-team model that you curse up and down and you want more meaningful games and you know the talking points, I don't need to repeat them, and you're gonna get there and you're gonna realize what you had and what you lost. It's that lyric that I stole from Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac at the beginning of the show, it's only right that you should play off the way you feel, but listen carefully to the sound. Number nine on the Greatest Hits album. Uh, let's get to the next question, shall we? Sidelines Bama hit us up today, and they said, i curious to see what I had to say about the recent opinions by the media on if Nick Saban has changed his stance on the Alabama standard." Saw a few articles referencing Saban's recent comments on players being focused on a championship. I've seen what they're talking about. If you haven't, Saban actually did an interview with ESPN within the last couple of hours. I think it was uh, Mark Schleybaugh who released it. And he was talking about how he feels like this year's Alabama team has been a little more result-oriented, goal-oriented. And what's funny is, if you're like me, and you grew up listening to various motivational speakers or whatnot, you were taught that's a good thing. You were taught... You need to define your goals. You need to be goal-oriented. And if you listen to folks like Nick Saban talk, it's the antithesis of what they preach. They do preach goal setting. They do preach that. But then their entire process consists of taking the goal, putting it to the side, and instead of focusing on the goal, instead of focusing on the mountaintop, you focus on the process. You focus on the climb. You focus on putting one foot in front of the next foot in front of the next foot because that's the only way a mountain actually gets climbed. That's the only way that the goal actually ever gets accomplished. You can stare at the mountaintop all day. You can really want to get to that mountaintop. But at the end of the day, you've gotten no closer to the mountaintop. Plus why? Well, you're focused on the goal instead of the process. Uh, No, nothing about that has changed. Nothing about how Nick Saban feels at age 71 about the Alabama standard and the process that they've clearly defined around there has changed. What he is saying, and what I think he'll admit more, as the season comes to a close and he does a lot of reflection publicly in some cases on this year is we had a results-oriented team a little bit more this year. And then he's going to have to dive into why. Is it just a unique confluence of events? Is it just a specific group of kids that for whatever reason they couldn't wire the right way like they've virtually developed a patent to be able to do there? Maybe so. Or maybe he finds that they're are other elements that have seeped into his program. That's for him to know. We, none of us have that view. Only he has that view. But no, I don't think there's been anything that's changed there. Now, I think what you're also hearing from him right now, and if you read that feature on ESPN.com, and you listen to his press conferences, he's really quick to defend his coordinators, and he's really quick to say, no, I'm not putting blame on anyone but me, because I'm the one that sees the game plan. I'm the one that approves the game plan. I hear every play that's called in the game. I've got the power to veto any play and I don't do it. He's getting rid of those coordinators. It's exactly what he would say right now if he planned on eventually getting rid of those coordinators. So I said the other day, I think both of them will be gone at the end of the year. I still think both of them will be gone at the end of the year. Um, What I'm curious about is his theory on the transfer portal and if it's changed at all. Because they went into the portal, and, you know, a lot of people are saying they shouldn't have done it. Well, Jameer Gibbs is one of the best players on their team right now. I don't know where in the world they'd be without him. But there were some other examples, famously with Jermaine Burton, for example, where it hasn't been fruitful at all. Now, is that a Jermaine Burton problem? Is that a wide receiver coach? Is that an offensive coordinator? Again, I don't know. I'm not the one qualified to diagnose that. He is. But as you go and you zoom out, and you look at Bama from 50,000 feet, no. Nothing about that process has changed, and I can also confidently tell you, Nick Saban is not going to bend an inch on redefining that process for the more modernized player. Players haven't changed over two years; they just won a title two years ago. People haven't changed that much over a 24-month stretch, so there's something that's not exactly right with this year's team. He probably already knows what it is. Uh, We will have theories, and whether he wants to confirm them down the road or not, that's on him. But No, I don't think he has redefined the Alabama standard whatsoever. Next question, please. I have not taken a single sip out of the chalice of choice liquids. This looks really red tonight, by the way. Maybe red, maybe maroon. I don't know. Crimson? Uh, Yeah, Colin also wants me to remind you, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. We have, um, well, I don't have internet right now. Actually, I do. Yeah, we can do better than this. We got 543, so yeah. Thumbs up button. When I say click the like button, that's what I mean. That little thumbs up there. The next question from Zach. Zach asks, is there any validity to the idea that one of the important purposes of bowl games is serving as a measuring stick for conference comparison? From Aurora, Colorado. No, Zach, to to me, there is not. What Zach is asking is... You know, as sure as the day is long, when we get to December, bowl season is going to come around. The casuals will call some of them meaningless. The rest of us will say, okay, Robert Dunder, get out of here. We are going to watch bowl season because we like watching college football games. And we're going to watch, and we're just going to watch them for what they are. Then there's going to be another group out there, you know it's coming, that starts comparing conference bowl record and the ACC, which has been hot trash this year, could randomly get off to a 4-1 start, and someone somewhere is going to try and convince you, oh, the ACC, it turns out they were good this year. No, it turns out they're 4-1 and in bowl season. That's all that means. That is all it means. We, I have seen some of the most randomized bowl results, conference-wise, year over year, that in no shape, form, or fashion, reflects what the regular season showed us. Now, what would help is if we had more out-of-conference matchups. I mean, it's true that there are a, a critical few number of data points wherein we can really measure conference against conference, but bowl season doesn't do it. Think about what we're asking, and think about what it would take. There is a way you could structure bowl season to where it would measure conference strength, but what it would take is it would take, number one, removing the playoffs so that you could have every team capable of being placed in a normal bowl, and from that point, you would have to seed the bowls. I would have to be watching the ACC's number two team against the Big 10's number two team. I'd have to be watching uh, Big 12 number four against SEC number four. Then and only then, would we really be measuring relative conference strength because then and only then would we have the conferences perfectly aligned. As it stands now, what happens is you'll have like the Big Ten's number two team against the Pac-12's number four team. I'm just using examples. I don't know exactly how they match up, but you have uneven bowl matchups. And so I don't learn anything if the ACC's number two team beats the SEC's number six team by four points. That doesn't tell me anything about how much stronger the ACC is. What would tell me a little something is if I saw ACC number six beat SEC number six, and also ACC number three, beat SEC number three. That stuff would tell me a little more. But no, Zach, I don't watch bowl season and use it to measure conference strength at all. Now, even if you used to, think about how much more irrelevant that point is even than it used to be. You didn't used to have to worry about bowl opt-outs. You may have worried about disproportionate motivation levels, but that's bowl season. But nowadays, unfortunately, you've got to worry about opt-outs too. So, ironically. The higher the bowl seed, the higher that team's preseason and expectations may have been, and therefore maybe they underachieved, and they've got multiple guys who could be NFL-bound sitting out, so they're more vulnerable. And so you got a team that goes 10-2, and and they get beat 38-13 to in a bowl game. Were they overrated all year, or did that bowl game exist in a different galaxy than the regular season existed? So no, Zach, I don't take bowl season to mean that at all for me. Next up, I feel like we got a good flow going all of a sudden. I don't like the way the mic is situated on the shirt, though. We're going to make some mic changes in 2023 around here. That's my resolution already. Trip up next, he said, Out of the major candidates we've all heard being mentioned for the Auburn job, which candidate, if any, can stand up to and, when necessary, push back against the strong booster culture on the Plains? And he threw some names in. Rain and Louder, that would be Jimmy Rain, and Bobby Louder. From Columbus, Georgia, Trip is. Okay. There are a lot of stereotypes in college football. And one of the stereotypes around Auburn football is that they have a very, very toxic booster culture. I will admit to you, having also come from just north of Columbus, Georgia, having grown up near the program, having now multiple friends within the program, there are Elements of that stereotype that have validity to them. Auburn's not the only program in America, by the way, that's had some booster issues from time to time. Fact is, you've got to have them. Find me the program out there that's operating with the kind of budget that these sorts of programs operate with, which requires deep pockets, which requires generous people to come forward and dig into those pockets and want nothing in return. It's not possible. It's not feasible. If people are writing you seven-figure checks, they're going to want a little say. The fine balance is, how do you give them a say? Like, How do you decide, okay, uh, are you going to be happy with a box seat and a couple of bricks out here outside the stadium with your kids' names on them, and we'll name a gate after you, and we'll give you and five of your friends sideline access pregame for a couple of conference games this year? Is that good enough in exchange for your donation, or... Do you want to meet with the defensive coordinator on Thursday to go over the game plan? Because one of those things is okay, the other is not. Uh, Do you want to say so in who we hire as the AD? One of those is okay, one is not. At Auburn, yes, it is true that there are some big names around there that in some cases in the past have probably stepped over the line a step or three or five. But here's what I always do, and this is not aimed at Tripp or anyone specifically. I just want to ask generically. Think about your opinion of the Auburn football program. Just do me a favor. If you're driving around listening or if you're watching on YouTube, I'm gonna give you like five seconds. Think in your mind when I ask you, what is your opinion of Auburn football? In other words, what has been the biggest problem maybe around Auburn football? Jeopardy music, Jeopardy music. Okay, Dong, dong, dong. What is your answer? And chances are a lot of you are saying, oh, dude, they're boosters, man. Those boosters are out of control. Here's a little exercise for you. Name me the booster and give me the specific details. I would love specific examples that you're aware of because you guys answered this question really quickly. I heard you. What are the specific examples? Who are the specific people? And what did they do specifically? Most of you don't have an answer for that. Now stop to think. Why did you so quickly give me a generic answer but can't give, the, give me the specifics. Because if you ask me, you know, what is your favorite food, and I say cheesecake, and you ask me why, I'm gonna talk for 10 minutes and tell you exactly why. But I ask you, what's Auburn's problem? And you guys say boosters, and I say, who, what did they do? And a lot of you, not all of you, some of you may have specifics, but a lot of you say, oh, well, you know, just, just they're out of control. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, they just, you know, they're too toxic. What does that mean? Well, they, you can't win with those folks. You're not giving me specifics. I'm trying to nail you to the wall and you're the square of jello that keeps falling down. A lot of this stuff gets overblown is what I'm trying to tell you. Auburn does not have a program full of angels. Auburn does not have a booster class full of angels, nor does Alabama, nor does Georgia, nor does Florida. They all got these problems. Uh, Auburn has won a national championship in the last 15 years with those problems. Now I know a lot of you could team up and write a book by 6 a.m. tomorrow describing how they won that championship in your mind and would probably go down some of the same roads we just went down a second ago. My point is, sometimes, and this is going to be a bold claim, but I'm just going to ask you to follow me. What if I I told you, sometimes things get said on Twitter, on message boards, on talk radio, and what you heard someone else say kind of catches your ear the way you want it to catch, and you say, hmm, I don't like Auburn. Sounds like they're toxic on the inside, I'm going to roll with that, is my opinion. Now, you don't necessarily have fact to back it up. You don't have details. If I were to take you in for questioning and hook you up to a polygraph machine, you wouldn't be able to pass with any specifics. You just want to believe it. A lot of you want to believe Auburn's corrupt, and sometimes Auburn does a lot to help you out. But in this specific case, they just hired a new AD. The question was, who is the right candidate? to lead the Auburn program and deal with the booster culture? Well, the the very generic fence-riding answer is whoever John Cohen decides it is. He's the new athletic director there. Now, the reason why I'm intentionally not getting specific is because I don't know John Cohen. Now, if you want to know whether some of these coaches are interested, yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's interested in the job. Yeah, I think Hugh Freeze is interested in the job. In fact, I have zero doubt about both of those statements. I don't know whether John Cohen is interested in them is my point, but if he's truly being allowed to make this hire independently, well, let's go back to the question. What about those boosters? Now, this is an if. This is an if. We can't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but if he's being able and allowed to have autonomy in this hire, haven't we already made progress there? And certainly, as I've told you before, like I think this job is sort of a sleeping giant. Right now, it's been a mess. But what it could be in the future, with the NIL reservoir they've got built up there, with the facilities they're about to open, with the fact that Nick Saban's not going to be at Bama forever, with the fact that that schedule, when they restructure this conference, could lighten up, or at least someone else's schedule could get as hard as Auburn's, could be very attractive in the transfer portal with the right coach. Like Auburn's gonna be a really good job if you hire the right candidate, if your boosters are out of the way. I'm just saying sometimes you hear things about Auburn's boosters that's a little more fairy tale than reality. Now, here's the other side of that coin. Sometimes things go on inside that program that never see the light of day that would probably make these stories sound like fairy tales that you were able to tell your child. I understand all of that. What I'm saying is, If it truly is a new day there, a lot of this could be in the past. It's strictly up to Auburn. It's strictly up to them. And that's how the story has to end right now. Next question. This one's going to be good. Let me me hydrate right quick again. Devin comes to us, and Devin asked, Why do I keep saying this transfer portal cycle is going to be so wild? Do I have any hints from Odessa, Texas? Yes, I've got you some hints. Every coach I've spoken to swears this transfer portal cycle is going to be the wildest thing that you've seen in college football in a long time. Now, when I press them on it, they've got a couple of reasons. The first is you'll just have the usual exodus, or what will come to be known as the usual amount. So there's a certain operating guidance, there's a certain expected normal, if you will. Like if you move to Odessa, Texas, it's going to be 100 degrees in August. We're just trying to figure out if it's gonna be 135 degrees. If it's 100, that's normal. If it's 135, we gotta figure out why in the world I can fry an egg on my driveway at 10 a.m. Well, with the transfer portal, I think we're gonna hit that 135 degree equivalent, and one of the reasons is you're going to have the normal, but then you've also got waves of kids, remember, that are enrolled somewhere that they never visited. Now, this is two cycles old, but you've still got some kids at Kansas State or North Carolina or Cal or wherever that committed and signed during COVID and may have never taken visits. And maybe they didn't take the first opportunity to hit the portal last year, but there are still going to be waves of kids this year and even next year that wanna live out that process that they didn't get to live out. You've got that factor in play. Then there's another factor that is going to become the new normal and hardly anyone's talking about it yet. And they are called portal samplers. This is going to be a phenomenon. There's going to be one or two high-profile examples of it, and then there'll be 20, and then there'll be 500 of them, and it'll happen really, really quick. A portal sampler is a kid that is enrolled at Pate State University and really has no intention of transferring, but he wants more NIL money. In a sense, He wants to renegotiate his NIL. In a sense, he wants to test the open market. And so my middle linebacker here at Pate State walks into my office and says, Coach, I'm entering the portal. And then he enters the portal. What's he going to do in the portal? He could be negotiating with me, or can't negotiate with me, wink, wink. He could negotiate with Hoomstever around Pate State Runs Our Collective, the Freights Collective. He could be talking to folks at Georgia could be talking to folks at Tennessee, at Ohio State. Uh, he also could really want to leave. And this is where the wildest speculation is going to happen. This is where coaches are going to pull their absolute hair out. you got a kid that goes into the portal. Now you got to figure out whether he's a portal sampler. Is he hanging out in the portal, or is he really going in the portal? So not only do we have to worry about kids going in the portal, we got to worry about whether they're serious about it or not. Like, uh, do I go to him and he tells me, don't worry, don't worry, I'll be back. I'm just going to get some more money. Or, coach, it's been real, but i got to go. they got something for me down here you don't have. I want to go closer to home. Could be for any of a number of reasons. When you combine all those factors, and especially with the portal sampler crowd, understand what kind of chain reaction that's going to have. When part of your roster sees the other part of your roster go into the portal, or let's just say a few kids do it this cycle, but it's high profile, and the rest of the sport sees that those kids ended up getting 25, 30% more than otherwise they would have had just because of the threat of leaving. Do you understand what happens to the other rosters? Do you understand quickly what happens in the mind of anybody? I don't care how old you are. You could be 20, you could be 200. When you know that you've got an opportunity to make more money, and some of these guys are going pro in something other than sports, as the NCAA commercials say. This is the biggest earnings window in a lot of their lifetimes. 18 to 22 is going to be it for a lot of them. You think they're going to sit there knowing this option's on the table and not at least consider the portal? That's what coaches are talking about right now. That's what everyone's expecting. So if you don't like this, if you're kind of queasy when you listen to me talk about this, My suggestion to you, friend, is check out our national signing day show, the early signing day show. Check out our national signing day show in February, and then take a break. Now, I want you to watch the show, but do not check Twitter. Do not check your normal college football news watering holes. It's going to be, it's going to be a little ugly. It's not going to be for the faint of heart for quite a while. You're going to have, in some cases, I had a head coach tell me the other day, we think 40% of our roster. Could overturn this cycle with a combination of kids who are going to leave for the draft, kids who are going to transfer out, kids that we're going to bring in in the transfer portal, kids we're going to bring in in recruiting. Think about that 40% of a roster. Now, in some of your cases, that may mean your team that's struggling to make a bowl right now could win 10 games next year. Who knows? But with everyone that finishes on the plus side, someone's got to lose games. So someone's going to fall off a cliff. Multiple someones, I think, will fall off a cliff. A transfer portal is no joke. It's, it's gonna vic- it will make victims of you all, eventually. So no one is going to be immune to the shrapnel there. Next up. Uh, this is from 561 Michael. He said, should I be worried about the way the season has gone for Mario Cristobal? Well, if you are banking on a good season for this Miami football team, yeah. In Boynton Beach down there in Florida, you need to be very worried, Michael. Now, that was sarcastic, because if you're asking me about the long-term perspective of Miami Hurricane football, I've told you once, twice, five times, I'll tell you again, I've still got total confidence that Mario's going to get it right down there. Have very little doubt about that. And I, It's going to be a lot of hard work. I don't think it's going to take as long, because of what I just spoke about earlier in the show, as a lot of people do. You've got the ability now, if you really want to, to buy recruiting classes, legally. You've also got the ability to buy through the portal, legally. You can't speak about it like that, but we all understand. We can put two and two together. We know how things work. You don't have to apologize for it. You can talk about it openly. You can do these things now. And you can also weed out, through very creative methodology, 30 or 40% of your roster. We just talked about it. You can flip that big a chunk of your roster over the span of a few months. He's about to do that. It may not be limited to his player roster. It may be coaching that also gets flipped, not through the transfer portal, at least officially. But I was listening to uh, the Joe Rose Show with Zach Krantz, and they had a really good interview with Mario the other day. And I think that if you don't listen to him a lot, but you just watch the games, you think, ooh, Miami's bad, man. I bet Mario Cristobal is down there, crawled up inside the nearest shell he can find. Not quite. This was Mario Cristobal on that show earlier this week. For anybody, but I, uh, I appreciate you getting up with us this morning and 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 for your fan base to hear, you know, for the, all these questions and everything, and what's Mario thinking, and uh, and so we appreciate you coming well, on. I thinking Mario's pissed off. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm upset. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be around some good teams for a long time and played on some good teams and built some good teams, and now we've got to build this one. And early on, it's tough-ass sledding. And, and I hate every bit of a loss that comes with it, but I also get up more enthused than ever to go to work, and that's where we're at. And it's that simple, and it's that truthful, brother. There ain't no other fluff to it. Mario, thanks, man. I always appreciate the time, Coach. Yeah, they're not going to back down down there. There's also not an ounce or a second's worth of hesitation though. They don't doubt their process, like he doesn't doubt their plan. And nothing about a result, even against Middle Tennessee State, nothing about turning the ball over eight times in a game is going to make him walk in his office and dust himself on Saturday, or dust himself off Saturday night and say, "No, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. You know, maybe this thing's not going to work out down here. It's just not the way guys like that are wired." Now. Just because you're wired competitively does not automatically guarantee that you're ever going to win anything, but he has. And at the very least, he understands how to build a team. He understands how to build a roster. And I'm not just talking about players now. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is crystal clear. I don't think the coaching staff that he's going to have three years from now will look very similar to the coaching staff he has now. That's all part of a rebuild. Some of the greatest to ever do it have had to go through this. So I go back to the question, and the question was, should I be concerned? Yeah, if you want to do big things this year, no, nah, it's out the window. <laughs> he just kind of admitted, that's out the window. You've seen the games, that's out the window. But that doesn't mean the future's out the window. In fact, I don't think any differently about Miami's future than I did quite the opposite. What I think is happening down there is a lot of people administratively And the coaching staff side, and the football operations side, and the player personnel side, and the quality control side, and the recruiting side, they're going through this right now, and they're taking it. They're just taking it right there on the chest. And anybody who comes in that building, who gets hired three or four years down the road and didn't have to go through this, they will see it. There'll be a different look in the eyes of someone who went through 2022 at Miami than someone who just comes on board once things are good. And those will be the alphas in the building, not just players, the coaches and the administration. Those will be the ones that when they talk, everyone else shuts up. Cause there's an understanding around the building. I just got here, things are good now. That dude was here when it sucked. That dude was here when folks were trucking Miami, when middle Tennessee was coming in here, walking all over them and then laughing on the way out. It's not that way anymore, is it? Now this is 2025, 2024 maybe, this is not that way anymore. There are a lot of people who are going to be better off for experiencing this right now. But like he said, it's just tough right now. Um, You know, people have gone through worse. It could be worse. You know, you could be having to work a real job instead of being able to work in football for a living. They're watching us in Lenore City, Tennessee. They're watching us in San Marcos, Texas, and Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Do we have another question about my weekend coming up here? I think we do. (sighs) Matt, I think you're coming at me with this. But I'm going to pretend like you asked this in a friendly manner. Matt, here's what he said, Why are you going to UCF Tulane over a matchup like TCU versus Texas? Yes, I've got a flight in a little under 12 hours down to New Orleans. First time we've been to Louisiana all year, and shockingly it's not for an LSU game. That's an upset, by the way. But I've never been to a game at Tulane. But How in the world am I going to be G5 Josh if I don't go check out a G5 game? For a long time, Matt, if you've watched the program for any length of time, you know, number one, I've already been to Austin this year. And that's not an automatic, I'm never going to come back, but it is, we're trying to see as many places as possible. But if you've watched this show for a long time, or if you've even just watched it this year, you know, there were some pretty harsh allegations lobbed our way. Claims of homerism? Claims of, dare I say, bias? To the SEC? Now, I laughed every time we spoke about it on the show. I had the same grin on my face then that I do now because I told you these allegations won't last forever. I've seen the future. I know what our road trip map is going to end up looking like by November. Well, voila. When is the last time that anyone accused the Every Given Saturday Tour of SEC Homerism? Not lately. Not since a trip to Eugene, Oregon. Not since trips to Manhattan, Kansas. We're going to New Orleans this week for this game. We go where the action is. This weekend, the AAC championship could be decided. Now, Cincinnati's going to have something to say about this, but this is going to be a really good game. And keep in mind, you've got Central Florida coming in here. They're about to go to the Big 12. Like Gus Malzahn, whoever ends up writing the book about Gus Malzahn, Think about the story you're gonna tell. This guy is in 2017, halfway through the year, ready to be run out of town on a rail. Then he beats Georgia, the number one team in the country. Then two weeks later, he beats Bama, the number one team in the country. Then Jimmy Sexton, his agent, and Gus Malzahn end up telling Auburn, the week of the SEC championship game, you're about to give us a new deal or he's going to Arkansas. Brilliant tactical move, perfect leverage play, Auburn could not see through it to call the bluff if it was a bluff, and Gus Malzahn gets a monster extension with a monster buyout. A couple of years later, because it's what Auburn does, he's out, he gets fired, and he gets fired and removed from what I thought at the time is the toughest job in America. Then Central Florida opens up, and he gets to go live in Central Florida, first off. Secondly, he gets to coach at what has long thought to have been one of the biggest sleeping giant programs in the country, in Central Florida. Also, he gets the full buyout from Auburn, and then no sooner has he walked in the door than someone says, Gus, welcome to Orlando. Oh, by the way, you're going to the Big 12 in a couple of years, so you'll still be a Power 5 coach anyway. Gus Malzahn looks around and says, is this a dream? What, what has happened here? So Gus Malzahn just keeps, if you want to call it failure, you can call it failure. That dude has failed upwards better than anybody in the history of this sport. It is, quite honestly, if you've ever been around him, he's a good dude. You know how beautiful it is to watch him just continue to look around and wake up one day better off than the day beforehand. And it took the folks at Auburn a while to get used to him. Some of them never did. Uh, He's just, he's different. But I'm different, you're different, everyone's different. Who cares? Uh, He's a good dude. So I'm looking forward to seeing them down there and it's gonna be a good game. The line opened at a pick'em. And it's gone, I think, to Central Florida, Jesse, minus two and a half. I want to say it was the last number I saw on that. <laughs> he said, stand by. Um, these are two good teams. And also, for, the, for those of you who are in the expansionist crowd, when you get your 12-team playoff, if you pretended it was this year, one of these teams could be headed to the playoff. If you're putting your six highest-ranked conference champs in the playoff, one of these is going to end up being the favorite to win the conference title, maybe, after this weekend. Uh, if it's Tulane, if it's Central Florida, point is, you guys are asking for a world very near future where you could have that little Tulane angry wave there. It's one of my biggest goals of the weekend is to get one of those blue shirts with the angry wave logo. You could be looking at a future very, very soon where they're in the playoff. Tulane minus one and a half. Interesting. Jesse, how much money did you bet on that? My goodness. Speaking of which, we got a question about the JP poll here. I'm gonna get you a best bet after this. And uh, we gotta get out of here because I got a bedtime tonight. Dylan asked me if I'm sick of explaining the JP poll on Twitter to casuals or do I just find it comical at this point? From Bluffton, South Carolina. I believe that's where Doug Funny is from and Skeeter. I'm not tired of it at all. Not tired of it at all because it has become the most entertaining portion of many of your weeks. I know a lot of you, when I put that JP poll out, because when I do it on the show, Simultaneously, I tweet it out, I put it on Instagram, and inevitably, it's like a bug zapper for casuals. As soon as I click that thing on, you sit there and wait. It doesn't take more than a couple of minutes. Here come the first casuals flying on in. And they have no clue what the show's about, and they have no idea the difference between a power rating and a ranking, and they don't know anything about the fact that I base that on odds making. It doesn't matter what your record is, it's not merit based at all. And sure enough, here they come. How could you have Alabama above fill-in-the-blank? How could you have TCU below fill-in-the-blank? Here's the fun part for me. Sometimes I start typing, and by the time I've got my response typed out, 14 of you have already kind of veered in front of me, and you've raised your shields, and you've thrown your figurative arrows, and you've kind of taken care of it. A casual casualty, if you will, in the comment section. It happens all the time. And then I just, I I hit backspace, and I'm like Homer Simpson. I disappear back into the bush, never to be seen again. You guys have taken care of business for me on this, is my point. I look and I see basically myself responding vicariously through you guys. So what's fun about it is I put it out, and then it is like chum in the water, and here come the casuals. But instead of saying, we're going to need a bigger boat, we got a big enough show. Like, we, we needed a big show. Well, now we got a big show and we got a big audience, and you guys take care of it for me. However, I was doing a radio hit with Lance Zerline out in Houston earlier this morning, and we got into this free flowing conversation about the difference between Vegas and kind of odds making and power ratings and the ranking system for the playoff. And he started down a road that I just grabbed the wheel from him on, and I, I said, hit the gas. The question was, Should we include Las Vegas in the college football playoff process, the rankings process? Now, I've had many of you ask me this, and sometimes the way it works is this. You come to me and you say, Josh, I got an idea. I think Vegas should be included in the rankings process. And my eyes light up, and I say, continue, because I love where it's going. But then you say, shouldn't your record against the spread count for something? And then I say, no, 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 no. No, friend, friend, you, you're going down the right road, but you just veered off in the ditch for no reason. It's like Michael trusting the GPS and Dwight's over there in the passenger seat saying, this is a lake. It can't possibly mean that. This is a lake. But you drive into the lake anyway. No, nope. Let's hit the brakes. Back it on up. Don't have to go in the lake. We can continue down the proper road. Vegas absolutely has a role or should have a role in the college football playoff rankings process but it has nothing to do with the spread they put on you and your record against the spread, I could be 0-12 against the spread and be 12-0 straight up. No, that shouldn't factor in at all. Strength of schedule is where it should be factored in. Because right now, I've got a group of folks out there who are telling me that TCU's resume is suffering because the once upon a time ranked teams that they beat those wins aren't worth so much anymore because some of those teams have incurred more losses. And I'm sitting there looking and I'm saying, there is nothing about those teams losing future games after I've played them that devalues the struggle I had that day, that takes away it all from the resistance they put up that day. So it doesn't matter if they win every game from here on out or lose every game from here on out. What I faced that day is what I faced that day. It's like, right now, people trying to tell you, oh, TCU, man, their resume is not any good anymore. Tell some of those teams have lost. They play a round-robin conference schedule in the Big 12. It's impossible for those teams not to lose. Every one of them plays each other. And so I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking to myself, it can't be that these are the best minds we could find to put in this room. It can't be that way. So here's the role Vegas should play. Vegas should be able to come in, odds makers, Pick five of them, I don't care. Get a group of them in a room and say, give us your power ratings so that we can define strength of schedule. Because right now, if I played Texas in the regular season and Texas in the playoff rankings is wherever they are, that's one thing. But if I look at Vegas numbers, they would have Texas top 10. Because power ratings wise, the difficulty you have when you play Texas is a top 10 difficulty level, is a top 10 caliber struggle, according to odds makers. I'd a whole lot rather get that kind of credit for a team after they play against and beat Texas than play in Texas like TCU does this week, and if TCU beats them, some fool somewhere says, it's just a four-loss team. Never mind the fact you put one of the losses on them, and never mind the other fact that another one of the losses is against Bama, and the loss uh, against Texas Techs with the backup quarterback in overtime, like, No one thinks this critically, and you don't have any other job. You're on the committee. That's your only job is to understand how to do this. So yes, Vegas belongs in that room, and their role should be one thing and one thing only. Give us a proper strength of schedule based on power ratings, not based on wins and losses, not based on how many ranked wins you have, which shifts every week, so it's not fluid at all. Yeah, I want Vegas in the room and I want them filling that role. Okay, speaking of Vegas, we've got a new best bet to hand out. Before I hand it out to you, remember, I'll be in New Orleans tomorrow night, and what do you do in New Orleans on a Friday night? I think you know. You go to your hotel room, early check-in, so that you can do Friday night lines. Absolutely. That's what, that's what all the party crowd does when they go to New Orleans. Friday night lines tomorrow night at a time to be disclosed Make sure you're following me at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you tune into that because I'm going to have several more best bets tomorrow night. As for tonight, the games we've already handed out Penn State minus 12, Pitt minus four. We're going Texas minus four in the first half against TCU. We're taking Votech plus 10, FSU minus six and a half. And tonight we are adding, because it finally moved up where I want it, Nebraska plus 31. They play against Michigan. I think Michigan's going to win. I just don't think they're winning by 31. So that is that. A uh, good week of shows this week, and I have no clue how many of you I'm going to interact with Saturday, but I look forward to it, and we are sure to have a loaded show Sunday night. So before you leave, just two requests. Like the video on the way out so we can get over 1,000 on it as we end the live show, and make sure you grab 10 of your friends this weekend and have them subscribe to the channel and have them follow the Lake Podcast. Podcast that's it. Thank you so much for Director Colin, Producer Jesse. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Enjoy the games this weekend. Every given Saturday counts. We'll be back here Sunday night. Until then, God bless.